At the beginning of the month, this local news clip started making the rounds online. Police say a Warren woman had a miscarriage, and now she's charged with abuse of a corpse. The case It shows a woman in a courtroom charged with a grim crime. Abuse of a corpse. And the corpse here, it was her own fetus. Investigators say they found a baby stuck in a toilet at Watts' home on September 22nd. Forensic pathologist Dr. George Sturbins testified an autopsy found no injury to the fetus and that the unborn baby had died before passing through the birth canal. Brittany Watts is the woman facing these potential charges. She had a miscarriage at home. Suddenly, that information was very, very public. Watts looks frail and overwhelmed in front of the judge. Her lawyer rubs her back to comfort her. What stood out to you about this clip? Like, what, when you watched it um, as an attorney, like, was there something where you thought, like, huh, like, what's happening here? Well, I, I think the whole thing, the fact that she was being indicted for abuse of a corpse, or at least attempted to be indicted, that that was what was going on here, struck me. Mary Ziegler has been following the Watts case closely. She's written books like Roe, The History of a National Obsession, and Reproduction and the Constitution. She says cases like this one, they'll tell you a lot about how the limits of reproductive rights are being tested right now. And I think, obviously, as someone who studies abortion law, you know, we've been promised by a lot of legislators that the laws were not intended to target women, right? And obviously, this isn't an abortion case, but I think the visual of someone like Brittany Watts being prosecuted for something like this was pretty striking, too. It seems clear from the footage that Brittany Watts feels targeted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, obviously, Br- Brittany Watts is grieving. Abuse of a corpse, that's a felony in Ohio? So uh, it's a fifth-degree felony. Uh, it would result in potentially up to a year in prison and a $2,500 fine. That seems like a whole lot of punishment for someone who had a miscarriage at home. It's both pretty harsh and pretty unusual. Today on the show, how the Brittany Watts case may be a new kind of template for anti-abortion activists. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The case against Brittany Watts is centered around what happened after she miscarried in September. But the days leading up to that miscarriage are also really telling. Brittany Watts is 33 years old, works as a medical receptionist. She was just under 22 weeks pregnant when things started to go wrong. She went to the hospital complaining of pain and bleeding. Her medical records show the doctors deemed her pregnancy not viable. They said that if they didn't induce labor, Watts was at significant risk of death. 
but they weren't sure if they could act. That meant Brittany Watts sat around for nearly eight hours while doctors debated whether or not they could legally perform the induction they said she needed. The state of abortion law in Ohio is complicated, right? So this was later in pregnancy, and the physicians weren't sure if they provided her an induction, whether that would count as an illegal abortion and they would face criminal consequences. So they went back and forth multiple times about whether they could intervene in Watts' case. And ultimately, I think Watts on one occasion just went home because it didn't appear there was going to be any resolution anytime soon. And as a woman who's been in the healthcare system, I understand that instinct. You're stuck at a hospital, you're waiting, you're uncomfortable. It doesn't seem like anyone's helping you. It actually just seems like a pretty natural instinct to go home. But then, of course, that landed her in the situation where she miscarried there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing, of course, is it's worth emphasizing that there was no guarantee they were going to provide her an induction if she had stayed, because the reason the delay was occurring was not just sort of ordinary healthcare bureaucracy. It was because they weren't sure they could offer her an induction without violating the law, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she was really stuck. She was. And then she delivered a fetus that was about 15 ounces over the toilet. So less than a pound. Right. She didn't know what to do. Um, She scooped out what she thought was fogging the toilet and placed some of it near the garage, then took a shower, then drove to a hair appointment because, again, she didn't want her mother to find out about this. The hairdresser was worried about her. She didn't look well and took her to the hospital. That was the fourth time she'd been to the hospital that week. Do we know how the police got involved in her case? We do. Um, So Watts, when she returned to the hospital, was, I think, asked by a nurse who I think had, you know, learned she had a miscarriage, where she had put the fetal remains. And the nurse reported that information to law enforcement. And law enforcement visited Watts at the hospital to ask, well, again, while assuring her that she was not in trouble, uh, to investigate uh, while reassuring her that that's not what they were doing. The police also went to her home to investigate, right? They did. Um, They went to her home to, I think, inspect the fetal remains. And I think that they were probably also, although we can't be sure, looking for evidence that she had done something wrong to cause the miscarriage. Um, At this point, no one, prosecutors, law enforcement, no one is disputing that the miscarriage happened with no intervention of by Watts, but they may have been looking for evidence to the contrary. So I guess you could maybe understand the motivation of the police here to make sure that Brittany Watts hadn't harmed a viable fetus, but they went pretty far. Like they disassembled her toilet to look in her pipes and see what was there, right? I think even that is strange, right? I mean, I think the fact that Brittany Watts as a woman of color has everything to do with that, too, because if we look at evidence collected by the group Pregnancy Justice, the overwhelming majority of people who are prosecuted in cases of pregnancy loss tend to be low-income people of color who have issues either um, with taking legal substances like prescription drugs or alcohol or illegal drugs. Um, So when a pregnancy loss looks suspicious to the police has everything to do with who the pregnant person is 
she wasn't behaving in a way I think that prosecutors expected pregnant people to behave, right? I mean, the prosecutor sent a note to reporters essentially saying, you know, she got rid of this baby and went on about her day like nothing had happened, right? She wasn't acting the way they expected while she was pregnant, and she wasn't acting the way they expected after she was pregnant. And I think likely her race in, in class, too, rendered her probably suspicious before anything had happened. If you miscarry at home, what are you supposed to do? Because it strikes me like, of course you're going to miscarry over the toilet. And like, (laughs) I don't know what you're supposed to do at that point if that's happening to you. And I assume Brittany Watts didn't know either. Right. Well, and I don't think most people know. People have miscarriages at home all the time. And there's no kind of standard guidance about what to do with fetal remains. So there are different sources you could get guidance for this. There's medical groups like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and their advice on what to do when you're miscarrying largely involves when you need to seek medical care, essentially when you're in danger. I mean, are the prosecutors saying what they think Brittany Watts should have done in this case? Like, I've heard them say she shouldn't have gotten her hair done afterwards or she shouldn't have flushed the toilet. But like, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> or do they have a, a scenario that they're saying, well, this is obviously what should have happened instead? No, I mean, really, I think what you have is prosecutors essentially saying what should not have happened without offering any guidance on what should have happened. So, I mean, we can infer from that that they thought she shouldn't have flushed the toilet or gone to the hairdresser. That's about all. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What do we know about why the prosecutor decided to move forward here? Because it seems to me that this was a real choice. Like, you could look at the same set of circumstances and make a different decision, I assume. Absolutely. So prosecutors in general have a lot of discretion about how to proceed, right? What to prioritize, because no prosecutor's office has unlimited time or money. So the choice to focus on this case is about that, right? It's about priorities. And this prosecutor believed that Brittany Watts' case was a priority. Hmm. It's interesting to me to hear their language now, the prosecutors, because they're they're saying stuff like, you know, the county was compelled to move forward once it was bound over, the case was bound over from municipal court. So it's sort of this funny, like they're acting like their hands are tied a little bit here, but I'm not actually sure that's true. 
No, and I, I think when you read them talking about Watts's case, um, the assistant prosecutor said something like, the issue isn't how the child died, when the child died, it's the fact that the baby was put into a toilet. That doesn't sound like their hands were tied, right? That sounds like a prosecutor that thought that a deep wrong was committed, right? A wrong more important than other crimes occurring in that district that served time and energy. Yeah. When I watched footage from the courtroom, Brittany Watts' attorney raised this question that I thought was so important. She was basically like, what constitutes a corpse? Like, if a fetus hasn't taken a breath, is it a corpse that you can abuse? Which seems like an important question. Can you explain, like, why why that's so important? I mean, so there's the just basic legal point, right, that Ohio's law, like most statutes about abuse of a corpse, requires particular boxes be checked for a guilty verdict, right? So the law says, quote, no person except as authorized by law shall treat a human corpse in a way that would outrage reasonable community sensibilities. So I think Watts's attorney and really prosecutors too are fighting about the status of this fetus. Is this fetus a person and therefore a human corpse? Or is the fetus not yet a rights-holding person, somehow just different from a corpse, right? Um, and I don't think the law is clear about this, in part, again, because abusive corpse laws were written a long time ago, largely to address grave robbing, not circumstances like this. So there's there's an assertion of personhood on both sides, I think, that's an issue. Yeah. I mean, if this fetus is ruled as a corpse, what will that mean in a larger way? Well, in a kind of smaller picture way, it'll mean that other people who miscarry and don't know what to do, like Brittany Watts, will potentially be more easily criminalized too. But I think that obviously has two purposes for the anti-abortion movement. Uh, One, I think, it will further add kind of a chilling effect to people who are unsure what they can and cannot do when it comes to abortion and pregnancy. Um, And fear often renders people, paralyzes them, right? There's also a kind of legal strategy at play here, which is to write the idea of fetal personhood into more and more areas of the law that are not abortion until abortion law looks like an outlier, right? If a fetus is a rights holder, in every area of the law but abortion, it's going to look weirder and weirder that the law doesn't treat that fetus as a rights holder in the context of abortion. So this is a kind of, you know, brick by brick strategy to change the way the law approaches fetal personhood. I mean, I'd heard for years, even before Roe v. Wade was overturned, I'd hear about cases like the one against Brittany Watts, women charged with causing their own miscarriages or not handling them appropriately. I'm wondering if this one seems different to you for some reason, or particularly notable? It does, I think, because again, the the old fact pattern, most of the time, you saw almost all the time, were low-income women, mostly women of color, but almost always low-income women, who were being charged for essentially doing a bad job being pregnant and making risky decisions that ended a pregnancy. So they were sort of more abortion-adjacent, right? It was people being charged for pregnancy loss, but not for abortion. This is a case where everyone agrees that Brittany Watts did not cause the end of her pregnancy. 
and yet we're seeing a prosecution anyway. So we're seeing this kind of pursuit of fetal personhood spread and change and evolve. Um, and I think that's really what's significant. This is not a case where we're blaming someone for ending a pregnancy. This is a case where everyone agrees <laughs> that the pregnancy was non-viable and nothing could be done. And yet we're seeing these charges anyway. Yeah. I mean, you've said this is like another brick in the wall for the anti-abortion movement, trying to get fetal personhood on the agenda. How would this work? Like if anti-abortion advocates are to be successful building up the idea of fetal personhood, how many more Brittany Wattses do there have to be? And like what happens has to happen with them? Well, I think we don't have a number, obviously, but the anti-abortion movement knows that if you just ask voters to recognize fetal personhood, it's almost certainly not going to work, right? Um, we've seen voters at the polls choose abortion rights over and over again, and fetal personhood would go considerably further than a lot of the bans we already see on the books in states. So when anti-abortion activists are making this argument, they're really directing it either towards state legislators or to judges. Basically ignoring the voters. Right, essentially doing an end run around voters. And I think what they want, ideally, is to sort of create what looks like a groundswell of cases to say, look, you know, other judges and other courts and other places are recognizing fetal personhood in all this, all these contexts. So surely you, the conservative Supreme Court, should revisit this question. I think they see this as a long-term project, sort of, you know, if getting rid of Roe was the last big project, this is the next big project. And so they really are proceeding stepwise, right, by case by case like this one. So I don't know if they know how many Brittany Watts it's going to take, um, but we can predict that they'll be in it for as long as it takes, right? I mean, it took them half a century to get rid of Roe, and I think they'll stay in it to get, achieve fetal personhood at least that long. I'm glad you brought up voters, because part of what makes Brittany Watts' case so striking to me is that she had her miscarriage in September. And mm -hmm. this was just as the state of Ohio, where she was, was gearing up for a big election about abortion. And in fact, in November, voters chose to amend the state constitution to protect an individual's right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. What does it tell you that this case is moving forward in the courts at the same time that voters are saying they want women to be able to seek whatever reproductive health care they need? Well, I think it tells you again that there are lawmakers and prosecutors who have a strong sense that fetal personhood is a moral principle that trumps what voters want. I mean, and I think that's revealing because what happened to Brittany Watts, I think if you put that question to voters, you would get even more support for mercy for Brittany Watts than you would for a state constitutional abortion rate. Because again, uh, Brittany Watts wasn't making, even making a reproductive decision, right? She didn't even have the ability to make a reproductive decision because her miscarriage happened really with no say-so from her at all. So I think, again, this is a reminder that as much as one of the stories post-ops has been voters weighing in on the side of abortion rights, voters' views won't always carry the day, right? They're, they're power levers in this country that are pretty insulated from political pressure. And this seems to be a good example of that. You know, the one thing I can't stop thinking about, about Brittany Watts's case, is how alone 
she seemed to be at every turn, and how the law actually made it more likely that she would be alone, whether she was in the hospital in, like, terrible pain, like, about to miscarry a child and left alone for hours on end while the doctors were tied up discussing whether they could even help her. Like, that made her alone. And then she went home, and she had this miscarriage. And when she sought care, she was being prosecuted for it. It it just seems like the law is actually creating situations where it's hard to know where a woman in crisis can turn. Right. And I think it's a situation where the law is actually creating crises. Because imagine you are someone like Brittany Watts, right? You're someone who, you know, makes about as much money as Brittany Watts, maybe someone who looks like Brittany Watts, and maybe you're pregnant and maybe you're afraid. What message does this send, right? The message this sends is don't tell your healthcare provider, right? Don't trust law enforcement, because if you do, they're coming for you. And we already know in the United States that we have embarrassingly, really grievously high rates of maternal mortality, particularly in communities of color. And cases like this one not only render people like Brittany Watts alone, they endanger them, right? They create incentives for them to avoid prenatal care they need, both to avoid pregnancy loss and to avoid morbidity and mortality. Mary Ziegler, I'm really grateful for your time and your insight on this case. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Mary Ziegler is a law professor at UC Davis. She's also the author of Roe, The History of a National Obsession. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time.